we'll throw everything else at the end of the gathering. Let's get in the Bible. Let's get in the Bible. Father, I'm just continuing in the spirit of worship and in prayer. God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart may be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord God, my strength, our strength and our redeemer, the one who brought us back and whom we trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Um, ladies, y'all can just be ready after, um, after everything. Just feel a little led for us to dive into scriptures right now. Um, open your Bibles up to Acts 2. Open up your Bibles to Acts 2. Um, Acts 2, uh, we've been going through our core values. Last week we went through commitment. Now we're going through conversions. Say conversions. Oh, y'all got to get louder than that. Conversions. One more time for the ghost of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of his aliases. I like to call him the ghost of God. He's not a spook. He's a person. He's not an it. He's not a what. He's a he and he's God. Amen. 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 This, this book acts is really not the acts of the apostles, but it's really the acts of the ghost of God. It's him at work. Um, explicitly and implicitly, overtly and covertly. And, 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 and I love the fact that the Holy Spirit, with his powerful, glorious self, is, 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 is in love with his master. It's interesting that although he is God, he submits to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's powerful to me. I don't even understand that whole, I don't even understand that. And God the Father is Jesus as Lord as well as the Spirit's Lord. Yet they're one, yet different persons. Powerful. You know, as we talk about this core value today of conversions, I think it's a, it's a subject that we as Christians really have to dive into. Um, because I think when you hear the word conversions, when you hear the, the word conversions amongst Christians, you'll get, according to which circle you're in, a, a gambit of different um, definitions um, from Christians. And, 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 and in this idea of conversions, we really want to give clarity to, to conversions today because in some circles and around unbelievers even, people who don't know Jesus, when you say you're a Christian, it doesn't add to your character. It subtracts from it. Because even people who are non-Christians don't expect conversion to do anything different. And it's not because of the gospel. It's not because of Jesus. It's because of us. And so some of the, that is our fault. But then sometimes it's not that a person is being a bad witness as a Christian. Sometimes it's because someone's not a Christian. Just allow that for a second. Some people think they're converted. And you're not. You think your attendance to church gives you conversion? You think because you feel great during communion time that you're converted. But, but today, as we talk through this idea of conversion, I want us to really look at ourselves, look at the word of God, and have a biblical understanding of conversion. It's going to be real heavy a little bit in a good way, though, in a real, real good way as we look at the scriptures as we talk about conversion at the church, that's one of our core values, one of the things that we value. In other words, that we would emphasize 
as a part of what makes Christians Christian. And not only what makes Christian Christian, but something that all Christians should be looking for. Because in our society, we have this idea of evil, easy believism. And easy believism where we give people salvation based on reductionistic presentations of the gospel. And so people don't get the components of the of different aspects of the gospel. And then they, they, they get the part they like and accept it. <laughs> So when we talk about conversions, this is a statement. You can even see it on our website. Conversions. Epiphany Fellowship will seek to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ through missions and evangelism. The hope is that the fellowship, love of the saints, and godly living will attract unbelievers to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our desire is that new converts will feel like they are entering a family versus an organization. So when we talk about conversions, how do we get in this text? I want to lay some, uh, 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 some groundwork of a, a definition of some terminology. When we talk about conversions, we are emphasizing, and this core value of ours, as we will see, we got extracted from the text. We didn't eisegete in the text. We see three things when it comes to the idea of conversion. We see missions. When we say conversions, we mean discipleship. We mean evangelism, and we mean outreach. We value that as a church. We value those four things as means of grace that bring about the work of conversion and the post-work of God through the spirit post-conversion. Well, how many of you heard us talk to say the word missional? Lift your hand up. How many of you all heard that? How many of you that heard that word know what it means? How many of you all... Don't know what it means, honestly. It's okay. Amen. It's a good thing to admit that. Well, missional. It's interesting. Missional is a term that is an adjective. It, it's not a verb. In other words, when we think of missions, we think of it in a noun sense of it as something separate from Christians. Therefore, we do it. But when we say missions, we're reflecting the living God. We're reflecting the one that had a roundtable discussion in heaven in eternity past, and they voted that Jesus would die. They voted. The Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the earth. In other words, in the mind of the triune God, it was a done deal, and it was one of the decrees of Yahweh. In time, we see God in, in, in the person of Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state, that means before he came to earth in physical form as a human, he in some way, shape, or form came to earth looking for somebody who wasn't looking for him because he sinned. And Jesus Christ glided through the Garden of Eden. Omnipotent as he is, he's still called, omniscient as he is, he's still called to the one who was lost. And he said, Adam, where are you now? Because he has x-ray vision better than Superman, um, he was able to actually know he actually wasn't, in his mind, Adam wasn't hiding. But he was hiding. And so he went looking for him. Adam wasn't looking for God. Jesus Christ came looking for him. And so he glided in the cool of the day. I don't know why he waited to the cool of the day, because he can cool himself off. But he waited to that time. And he went through the garden calling out to Adam. In other words, God initiating contact with people is an aspect of his character. In other words, God, 
God isn't a missionary in his attributes. It's an outworking of his attributes. What do we mean by that? Grace and mercy and love drives God and his holiness drives him to close the gap between his, um, himself and his elect always. And so what God does, listen, is God is the initiator of going to get cats. I know some of you thought that you went and got God, but you didn't find him because he wasn't lost. Like he's not like at broad and market saying, look, hey, hey, can somebody give me um, some directions to Southwest? No, God doesn't need finding. He's the finder. So so by nature, listen, somebody, he's a missionary by nature. He's a missionary because of his philanthropy, his love for men and those who he chooses. He goes after. Y'all going to get scared this morning because you thought you brought yourself to Jesus. You thought you was fine enough to get, you thought your six-pack could get you there. You thought your weave could get you there. You thought your gear can get you there. You thought your blink, but let me explain something to you. There's nothing about your crusty self that will make God choose you. Come on, somebody. Listen, there, there is no, you're, uh, we're just made up, we're just dressed up dirt. I'm, I'm, I'm a Baptist coming out of me today. I'm sorry, you know what I'm saying? I'm a Baptist coming out of me. The gospel get me baptized. But, but, but in us being imitators of God, and we're getting in this text because I got to lay a, a term, a, a, a foundation, is, 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 is because we are to be imitators of him and he calls us to make disciples of all nations, by nature, we are also missionaries. So we don't do missions separate from being missionaries so by nature he has redeemed us drafted us on his team to be missionaries and so out of that we get this idea of conversions let's read the text and i'm gonna give you point people some points and we're gonna dive into it. i got two today then we'll walk through these verses let's start at verse 42 of chapter 2 it says and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking of bread, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added, the Lord added, and the Lord added, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. First point, create an environment of mission. Create an environment of mission. When you look in this text and you look at verse 44, it says, and all who believe were together. They had all things in common. Selling their possessions and belong. In other words, you see a sense of unity around the table of Christians. See, 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 what was beautiful about this text is as the apostles were teaching them about Jesus, like we talked about last week. They took initiative for what was being taught, and they fleshed out in public and in private 
what they learned theologically and practice it theologically. So they didn't separate the two. And so you see them doing life with one another. And they fleshed out the beauty of the Christian faith by having an organic benevolence fund. In other words, nobody was coming up to the church asking for benevolence. Believers were taking initiative. There's nothing wrong with that. But believers were taking initiative for benevolence among each other and having a philosophy and mindset of needs-based Christianity. Now, what's crazy about this is that they did this in a way that was inviting and around and in the presence of the lost. So the lost was coming around the Christian community. You know what I'm saying? Brand new, 3,000 people. You can't imagine it. They get up to like five, six in the next chapter, a few chapters over. Crazy, right? Because the 3,000 went back to their, their, their old hoods, and they grabbed like three to ten cats. Say, yo, come on with me, you know, so we can go around, you know. And so they invited them around the Christian community. Crazy. They began coming in the mix, seeing the interaction of Christians, blown away by the interaction of Christians, and in that environment, heard the gospel, both organically and in an organized way. And so it, what was beautiful about this text is that they did, it to, they did evangelism, missions, and outreach, and discipleship together. You see what I'm saying? See, see it's like when we have a, a bachelor party at Epiphany Fellowship. Now, some of y'all got scared, but you don't understand an Epiphany bachelor party. See, somebody tell their unsaved friends, yo, I'm going to a bachelor party. You say, oh, snap. Yo, man, it's about to be on. We're about to go to the Dave and Buster's. Y'all going to do it in Dave? All right, cool. I don't know how we're going to pull that off, but, you know, let's go on down that joint, right? Cats coming in. Dudes, like, come in. It's been like an hour, two hours. Guys, like, looking under the pool table, like, looking around the corner. Trying to figure out what's going on. Then a chair gets sat in the middle of the room. Then the guy who's getting married sits in the chair. A, a bunch of husky, redeemed cats gather around him. Unsaved cats in the bag. What are they about to do? Jump this dude? I mean, what's, what's happening right now? And then one cat just start, the, some of the old heads just start spilling about their experience in marriage and charging him. The dude like, What's happening right now? Dude, like, what? Dude, like, I thought it was going to be some best man's wedding type stuff up in this joint. I thought we was going to have, you know, cakes and people popping out of the joint. Like, what's, what's happening? And dude just breaks down because somebody had been walking with him in his courtship. And he's weeping. Big old burly dude just breaking down like somebody stole something from him that he valued. Another cat starts talking. I remember when me and you first came to Christ. Racka, racka, racka. And then just dude start breaking down. Then dude start exhorting him. Just lighting him up about marriage and what he needs to be. And the unsaved just kind of looking like, what is going on here? Then they hear the gospel. Then they go back in the car, get in the car with his buddy. <laughs> They get in the ride, start peeling off. The car is very quiet. <laughs> Let's break the silence. Turn the Christian music down. What's good, man? Like, talk to me about talk to me about what's just happened. Y'all on ninety five? See, I was kind of expecting something else, you know what I'm saying? But 
Like, man, cats breaking all down about, man. Like, I'm where I'm from, cats be trying not to get married. You know, my dad wasn't even there. But y'all cats exhorting him on fatherhood and being a good husband, washing her. Like, what what that mean? Washing her. Like, you mean, I mean, now listen, then he explains it and how Christ is the means of what. And he's just hearing the gospel and he's like, dang, that's what's up. Now, most of us would pounce. All right, now, um, and we just give him the whole thing. And, just, you know, but that's okay sometimes, right? But, 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 but there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit is going. Chiseling away at him. Because he came around a community of redeemed, growing people who aren't perfect, but are made perfect by Jesus. Saw them repent of sins. Saw them deal with issues. Saw them, saw normal people broken by the gospel in a way that impacted him. And so he's like, I don't, I don't even understand this whole idea. And so, and so this in this text is the community of believers living practically and living theologically the riches of the scriptures as they give to one another, as they pour into one another's life, as they go day by day. Christianity wasn't an event for them. It was regular engagement of the community, yet they were not isolated from unbelievers. So they didn't say, we're, we're, you know, we who we are, and we separate, well, you got to say, come out from among them. Well, that's not talking about evangelism, that's talking about community. Listen to a few weeks ago. Because it's very, very important that we understand this. I like the way my man in, in, in Total Church lays it out. He says, ideally, evangelism is not something to be undertaken in isolation. It says, of course, if opportunity presents itself, the gospel word should be spoken clearly and sensitively in conscious dependence upon the Holy Spirit whenever, wherever, and to whomever. But evangelism is best done in the context of gospel community, whose corporate life demonstrates the reality of the word that gave life. And so, and so we as believers need to begin, based on the scriptures, when we talk conversions, enlighten and invite people into this reality. He says, and let's check this out. He said, don't worry if your church life is sometimes less than perfect than it should be. He said, we do not witness to good works, but the grace of God. Our commitment to one another, despite our differences and our grace toward one another's failures, are more eloquent a testimony to the grace of God than any pretense at perfection. I, I remember uh, Je the Jeffersons, when they, thought, when they thought the preacher was coming over, you know, they had the old turntable that was like, a, a, you know, y'all don't know about the joint that was covered and the speakers were on the side. And it looked like a coffee table. Y'all don't know about that. Them hard to find. And they put on the music. You know, when the preacher coming over, they'd have an Andre Crouch. And when he leave, they, she's our brag. But before that, it's about, ain't nobody doing like this. Pretense of perfection. See, we're not fronting imperfection. And see, these people, I'm, I'm blown away by the beauty of their life in Christ. And then it says, <coughs> it says, and, and they were giving to one another. They were going from house to house. They were in, they were on the block. They were in lifestyle, doing a lifestyle together, doing life together in cribs, outside of cribs, backyards, barbecuing. 
uh, 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 having having uh, deals for the, for, for the women who are getting married, like I mean, like we would do. It's an application of that where people would see meeting at the gate in the marketplace. Then it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. It's powerful. Now, what's interesting is their praise was both musical and verbal and artistic. So, so, so when people were getting redeemed, they would be, they would, they would just began singing the songs of the community. When they got away from the community, they'd be singing. Salvation belongs to our God. They're cleaning up. Who sits upon the throne? And Cass like, wow. What's, what's that? Oh man, that's the song we we be we be racking up at the. Talk to me about salvation belonging to our God. Really? Okay. Radal. They began walking through that thing. Christians who come and are impacted by the gospel begin writing songs of worship. Artists beginning us having a passion to flesh that out in a gospel-centered way. Because the praising towards God had to be gospel-centered enough for it to engage people to hear theological information that points them to the cross. So they, they were both doing Jewish songs, but I believe they were like, dang, this thing, this thing ain't got Jesus in it. It's, so they probably inserted Jesus' name, you know, us as Christians. We, and, and so they were praising God, but they were also verbally praising God, acknowledging, yo, man, like, like the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, and, and, and giving an opportunity to let people know that the Lord was doing something. And there was a noticeable difference in their life. And so praise wasn't just a Sunday morning expression, but it was a lifestyle that came out of their identity as worshipers based on John 4, verses 21 through 27. And so neither in, not, not in this place or that place, but everywhere, you will walk in worship because your identity is worship, not just you do worship. And so they were going all over the place and experiencing and blessing the name of the living God. But then it says, and they were having favor with the people. And so the, the credibility of Christianity, based on the way that Christians were living out the gospel, practically where they lived and dwell, rock unbelievers who were watching. In other words, Jesus' name benefited from the way Christians did life together. See how our core values fold into one another? <clears throat> and so all of their life was comprehensively missional, both individually and corporately gathered and scattered. And so I'm hoping that, that we could develop that type of philosophy as a church practically. <clears throat> that we will begin living out the reality of the gospel and there be a noticeable difference in our lives that sparks an environment of an opportunity, a gospel-centered uh, opportunity for people to be engaged with the nutrition of the Christian faith. Now, now as that was going on, it's powerful what, what, what began to happen. Because as they had favor with the people, you know, of course, um, the unredeemed paparazzi were taking pictures of their actions. And, it, and word got out about this community of people who are saturated with God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things. And so they were all over the place, and they got to live out, and people saw the law of Christ. Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so this is, Christ has already fulfilled, he has already fulfilled the law and he spills that over into our lives as Christians to reflect and live out that reality with one another as a proclaiming community that is announcing the coming of a king who's going to wreck shop. Our lives are supposed to be constant announcements and, and trailers for the eternal eschaton coming to fruition in our lives. And, 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 so, and so people should be warned throughout, our lives should be warnings. Our verbiage should be warnings. A warning. Does your life warn people? He, 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 he's, Luke is laying out for us, the doctor. Dr. Luke is laying out for us the beauty of this reality. Now I want to spend some time in the last part of this on just what conversion is. Because the next part of the verse tells us what it is, what it looks like. <laughs> And the second point is they were dependent on God, depend on God for the results. <laughs> depend on God for the results. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The emphasis is on the Lord. The Lord adds to the number of those who are saved, not God's people. We are responsible for waving the aroma, the spices, and the seasonings of the gospel. And the ghost of God is responsible. The Lord here, I believe, is God the Holy Spirit. He is responsible for the results. And it points to his sovereignty. Uh-oh. Acts 13, 48 says, it says, and when the Gentiles heard this, that is the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. That's the gospel. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Wow. And so the responsibility for salvation to be wrought and brought into conclusion is God, not man. Now, when we talk about sovereignty, people get scared and thinking we're talking about determinism. But when we talk about this idea, we're talking about sovereignty. Mama used, grandmama used to say he does what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. He's God all by himself. Uh-huh. He don't need nobody else. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, because, because see, God's sovereign. Grandmama had a real great understanding of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God that God can do what he wants. And, and what's beautiful is sovereignty. Sovereignty is really an outgrowth of the character of God as creator of everything. If he hung the curtains of eternity, if he cast the stars by the work of his hands, if he spoke water into existence, if dryness had to say, 
Um, I got to move because water has to come into existence because the voice of the ruler of the universe said, move dryness. I must come. But then when he talked, he talked to dry land and dry land said, move over water. I got to get in the middle of this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, God is. So, so if he made all that. Does he have the right to do what the heck he wants with it? Many of us think, oh, oh, I, you know, wait, well, you know, you got a, you ain't got a nothing. You ain't sovereign. <laughs> I like the way Charles Hodges, my friend Charles Hodges says it. He says, sovereignty is not a property of the divine nature, but a prerogative arising out of the perfections of the supreme being. I love that high God talk. He said, if God be spirit... And therefore, a person infinite eter and eternal worth and immutable, that means he doesn't change, in his being and perfections, the creator and preserver of the universe, he is of a right, it's absolute sovereign. By right. By right. So who can stand before the ruler of lights? He says that, sovereignty, that the sovereignty of God is universal. It's not limited. <laughs> it extends over all his creatures. Notice he said creatures. Because everybody's not a child of God. Some people are just creatures created by God. But the redeemed are his children. Oh, anyway, that's going to make somebody mad. That's going to make somebody mad because you thought you was. Yeah. It extends over all his creations from the highest to the lowest. That it is absolute. There is no limit to be placed on his authority. So who are you, Job and Jobat? His rule, when it says the Lord added, when it says the Lord added, what's so powerful about this idea is that when the Lord adds to the number, it's authentic conversion. See, some of us say this prayer. And that's okay. I understand what you're trying to do. But some of us think that these little things that we do save people. And what's beautiful about us understanding the beauty of the sovereignty of God is it doesn't take, it doesn't make our evangelism blanks. It makes them armor-piercing bullets. Because our evangelism, sovereignty of God affirms our evangelism because it's guaranteed success. Evangelism is successful because God is sovereign. Not in spite of. Nothing is in spite of God. That means if something is in spite of God, that means he's not God or sovereign. But it's because of God. Huh, somebody ought to hear me today. This is very, very important. Why should we share the gospel? He should just pop up, make people believe. No. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, no one, no one can confess Jesus as Lord except by the Spirit of God. And so the Lordship of the Ghost should be seen in our evangelism, in us trusting for results, heartily engaging people, yes. 
However, trusting him, not trying to push a conversion, but watch God create a conversion. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but I like to spend the rest of my time on the last part of this. I, I like this part because this, this make me want to bunny hop over the pulpit, right? <laughs> it says he was adding to the number of those being saved. Say being saved. Oh, y'all said that in a real husky way. I like that, right? Because know what? <clears throat> the Greek of this is interesting. It's a present passive participle. Interesting. That's a passive because that means in its passivity, that means the agent doing the work is not the one receiving it, but the one doing it. So when God saves, he saves people apart from them doing any meritorious work to get in a relationship with him. Or you thought you, thought you did something. No, you didn't do absolutely anything. It's like the ball hit the boy. The boy didn't make the ball hit him. The ball outside of him got thrown by somebody and it hit him. And he was a passive recipient of being hit by the ball. That's the same way God saves. <laughs> That's the same way he saves. Uh, you don't like it, do you? I know, but he's sovereign. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't, I'd have messed it up. If I'd have started stirring the stew of redemption. I would have messed it up. Now I got I to gotta get one of my old heads up in here. Come here, Richard B. Richard B. He's an old school rapper from 400 years ago, Richard Baxter. <laughs> Them cats were spitters. I don't care what nobody say. And my puritanicalism is going to come out. <laughs> but let me, before I get into what he says about this, let's talk about false conversion. Because before we can talk about an applying conversion, we need to talk about the, false, the falsification of conversion. One of the challenges with the church today is that we have a cheap understanding of the gospel. In other words, <clears throat> we limit what we communicate to trust Christ without people understanding why should you. If there is no holiness of God that a person understands, why should they get saved? If, if they don't understand that a contract has been out on their life since they were conceived in their womb, they can't get saved. If they don't understand that, that like my daddy used to say, raggedy as a can of crowd, if you don't understand that on your best day, your best shots into the basket of righteousness is but filthy rags. I'm trying to let you know you cannot trust him if you do not see the chasm of holiness from your total depravedness. You can't, you, they can't celebrate Christ's death on the cross until they see the angriness of a beefy God coming in his war clothes to wreck shop. You got to get scared before you can get saved. People ain't scared. of good. We make God so, you know, that's reverential fear. No, it's not always. You need to see God, you know, coming through as a warrior, blood on his garment and it evaporating. Wiping his sword on his shoulder after he stabbed his enemies. 
Y'all don't like that God right there. I don't know him. That's two different gods. You know, the Old Testament's one God, New Testament's different God. Well, he knocked out Ananias and Sapphira. Whack out. The Holy Spirit actually did it. So he's both gracious and wrathful in the Old Testament, and he's both gracious and wrathful in the New Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, listen, listen. He is after you. Be very afraid. Very, very afraid. Woe is the person that falls in the hands of an angry God. See, if people start walking, you think Christ died and he came for you. See, if you get to that without that, then they're not in tears yet. If you ain't cried about your salvation ever, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I was shook. Shook off the Richter scale. What hell was like? Hell has been taken out of the gospel. So false conversion. <laughs> the gospel to many Christians is simple. Should be simple. Should be. Versus simplistic. <clears throat> See, when we say simple, we mean that it should be understandable and clear. Right? We don't mean, we don't mean a cheap gospel. When we say simplistic, though, we reduce the gospel to another one or to an aspect of it which is irresponsible. And so it's very important. I know you think this is for the unbeliever today, but Christian, I hope you're getting this too. It's for both. <laughs> because when we look at this idea here in the text of God saving without the help of man, you can't help but look at around us and say, Lord, help the sheep be separated from the goat. It's good when someone says, I know I'm not saved. I like that. Because there's an understanding of death life principle. One of the most depressing places to be is an inner city funeral of somebody who went to VBS 20 years ago and has never, ever, 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 ever borne the fruit of righteousness. God doesn't save people to be carnal. Wow. That's not the expectation of conversion. If he, saw, if he saves like this, well, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Ah, let, me, let me move on. Ah, let's talk about authentic conversion. I can stay on that all day. Falsification of documentation. I can stay on that all day. I think we can. But let's get into authentic conversion. The cause of conversion, the Holy Spirit. He is the initiator. Jesus says he will come to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Titus 3.5 says he washes us with the blood of Jesus and causes us to be renewed and regenerated. It doesn't happen without him. Conviction doesn't happen. Regeneration doesn't happen without the ghost. I like the way he says it. Here he, he, he says, he says, he says, the, he, says the, he says, so that conversion actively taken as it is a work of the Holy Ghost, like the way they write, is a work of the Spirit of Christ by the doctrine of Christ by which he effectually, effect, effectually changeth man's minds 
and heart and life from the creature to God in Christ. Conversion as it is our work is the work of man. Listen to what he says, though. Don't get scared of that. Wherein by the effectual grace of the Holy Ghost, he turneth his mind and heart and life from the creature to God in Christ. And conversion as taken passively, as we've already spoken here, is, in, is the sincere change of a man's mind, heart, and life from the creature to God in Christ, which is wrought by the Holy Ghost through the doctrine of Christ and by himself, thus moved by the Holy Ghost. And so the agent, the, the, the agent or the cause of conversion is the Spirit of God. Then we talk about the means of conversion. The means of conversion is preaching. Your life isn't going to preach the gospel. It can confirm it, but it don't preach. I, I don't like that statement, preach the gospel as much as possible, use words as necessary. That's not even biblical. Because the Bible says, the Bible says, how will they hear? Without a preacher, I mean. So we are a community of proclaimers, men and women. We believe in women preachers here as evangelists going into the world with the gathered community and scattered community, men both together, locking arms and blazing the world with the shalom of the gospel. <laughs> oh, God, I wish I had time. So the preaching of the word of Christ is preaching the holiness of God. Preaching the sinfulness of man. Preaching the consequences of that sin as eternal separation from God's attributes of community. Y'all hear that? Man, his attributes are present in hell because he created hell, but there are only a couple that are present there practically. That's wrath, holiness, and justice. But love, grace, mercy, the peace sign is on hell. But he's, he's, Satan doesn't own hell. He's not like with a pitchfork and a tail with a pointy end. Come on, come on to hell. No. You can't sell your soul to Satan. Hell, he's not like down there chilling. He's terrified. Because hell is the unveiled wrath of God. Now, the reason why hell is eternal is because that's how long it takes for us to pay for our sins. You can never pay for them. So you just stay there indefinitely in an office created for you if you haven't placed trust in them. <laughs> Slide that for a second. But then the consequence of this, and then talking about the provision of God through the cross of Christ. There is only one that could guzzle the cup of wrath. Jesus said, bring the cup. And he guzzles it on the cross. And so when we look at this idea of a proclaiming community, living out the reality of the gospel, and this idea of God saving, this is the anatomy of that conversion and how it happens. But then he says, Baxter says, consideration and humiliation. That's good. That means you see where you are and you see what God is. Romans 5, 9, Isaiah 6. If you haven't had an Isaiah moment, I am a rack of soot. 
You need to have a, you have to have an Isaiah moment. That's why conversion shouldn't be rushed. It shouldn't be rushed. Process with people. I'm not a sinner. Let me tell you how. Let me tell you how I am too. Pack it up, pack it up, pack it up, pack it up. Romans 3, nobody seeks after God. Nobody's looking for him. Our mouth is an open grave. (laughs) There's a veil over our face that's held by the devil so that we won't see the gospel of peace, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. If if we're this fallen, how in the world can we see the gospel? How How can you save yourself? How can you save yourself? If you're fallen and you're under the influence of the devil, totally depraved and unable to appraise the value of God and his way of thinking and his way of doing things, someone has to first remove the veil. Now, just because the veil is removed doesn't mean you can trust Christ because still you're fallen. So even though the veil has been removed, something has to happen on God's end to help us to be able to value his holiness and see ourselves in our sin. So he has to do it. So that's how he had, that's why the spirit has to begin the work of causing us to be born again. But then the channel of conversion, repentance, you are able to repent because of his work. (laughs) Repentance is a gift. Let me, let me, let me, repentance, changing your mind about who God is, turning from your, I, 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 I'm going to tell you, when I was out there, I didn't, like, I wasn't, I, like, I, I couldn't appraise the value of God. Now, maybe you can, you that cool, but the Bible says none of us can because our minds and will were in bondage. And then we're able to place faith in God. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. And so when we talk about our value of conversion, we talk about our value of conversion, we value conversion as authentic because we value authentic Christian lives. There is no authentic Christian life without authentic conversion. And so therefore, we must stop trying to convince people they're saved if they're not. having quick prayer sessions and quick verses that we walk people through. And I'm not saying you can't do that sometimes. But but, but I really want us to really get a sense of this as we think about our idea of our core value of conversions. Because it's going to be a frustration more than usual in discipleship if 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 someone's not showing up, I'm struggling with you. If someone's not committing themselves to the discipleship process, How can salvation be that powerful and a Christian life be powerless? God didn't save us for carnality. Well, they carnal Christians. Show me that in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3. No, he's not saying that if you read the passage. He's not. God, God, let me tell y'all something. God doesn't make room in his economy for us to just wig out and ignore him forever. He did all that? Removing veils, regenerating, giving faith, causing us to confess, sending his son, sending prophets, 
He did all that work so we could just live how we want to live. Paul says, should we sin that grace shall abound? May again it's all never. May it never be. May it never be. May the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the work of his spirit drive us. May the sovereignty of God drive us into the world together to pervade this region, the Delaware Valley, Philadelphia, South Jersey, Montgomery County, Bucks County, Philadelphia County with the gospel. A clear understanding of the doctrines of the gospel. Now, you, you don't need all that. See, that's too much. The gospel is simpler than that. Now, you're talking about simplistic, not simple. And so this is what we're calling for. A real gospel work through the scriptures. And us engaging people with the gospel and living out that reality. Because it's very, very important that we walk with that reality. So what do we take away from this? A few takeaways. First, build relationships. In other words, develop common ground. Develop common ground. That's a very, very important thing. You can't engage people with the gospel if you don't have a common ground with them that allows you to be around them. Now, we're not talking about their domineering environment, but in a way that keeps you from compromising your Christian faith. Somebody said, well, they say come out from among them. Uh, but that's not talking about evangelism. That's talking about um, not doing life with them for spiritual nutrients that only should be given through the community of God. So we should, we should have common ground. Number two, share the gospel. <laughs> communicate. Common ground and communicate. Communicate clearly. It means you got to understand the components of the gospel. But not only that, not only build relationships, not only share the gospel, but introduce people to the Christian community. Bring them around times of just chilling. I, I remember I was driving, I was coming to Philly Flavors one day, and I heard, jingle, 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 jingle. I said, man, what in the, it's a black party down that joint. Salvation belongs to our God. I'm, I'm coming around down Fairmont, and I'm like, what's going on here? And people out in the street, they got the street blocked off. People got orange shirts on going like this, going around from Epiphany, you know, telling the cars to detour around. And there's like 90 people out on the block singing and worshiping. And people walking past like, like they don't look like they should be doing this. <laughs> this crew look like they should be doing something else. People watching, they hang around, sit for a while, they even... We can, man, that dude need to give us some money. Uh, you know what? I'm calling, I'm calling Damon, man. That's a whole nother story, man. We've given that, bro that brother, we've kept his business going. Anyway, <laughs> people stopping, people coming to gatherings that don't know Jesus because of a public witness of Christians, not even trying to do anything in particular, but they were going place to place praising God and it looked weird because the group that was out there praising God looked like they should be praising themselves and it was such a great witness that people began coming around and getting 
communicated the gospel to them. Getting engaged with the truth of the gospel. Got authentically converted and got discipled. That's it. That's it. So I pray that we do more of that and not lose that. The freshness and beauty of that reality. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. Maybe you're hearing this today and you're saying, yo, I think I grew up in the church. See, let me let me tell you, you're not alone because we had a covenant, a membership class. Fifty percent of the people did not know Jesus. We've had membership classes where we shared the gospel on the morning of the covenant community graduation and several people came to Jesus Christ as Savior. <laughs> so you're not alone with feeling like, man, am I converted? If you feel like that, you need to trust him today. You need to trust him. Every head bow and every eye close. If you're here today and you heard this gospel today, about the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man. The sinfulness of man. If you're here today and you heard that, you heard the consequences, and then after the consequences, you heard the need for Jesus to take your place on the cross. If that's you, just slip your hand in the air. We want to we wanna, we wanna talk to you further about this gospel. Whether you're in the balcony or on the floor, will you slip that hand in the air so we can connect with you? There's anyone today that wants to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time. Why don't you slip your hand in the air? Yeah. Yeah. Recognizing his holiness, that there's a separation between us and him, and that you can't get it through your prayer life. You can't get it through Bible study only. You, can, you have to get it through Christ and Christ alone, by faith alone, by his grace, his unmerited favor alone. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for the centrality of the gospel. And so, God, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would help us to continue to be a proclaiming community that pursues you and passionately sees you in light of who you are as the sovereign God who is the bringer of the results. God, will you, will you honor your name by helping us to practice your truth? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Before we do.